1: Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you today?
0: Doing well, Sean. Uh, excited to be back in the mailbag. Uh, we probably don't have as many questions as we do on a normal Friday, but since I missed uh, last week's, um, we'll get a little Tuesday episode of uh, mailbag and answering whatever's going on, but still planning to talk about Basketball Portal Seems like a great player's going in there every day, so
1: yeah, portal you, season. And to steal a line from John Calipari, you, you people are crazy. So I, I looked at the numbers on the Meltback episode the other day that only featured me pretty much having a conversation with a laptop, and the consumption somehow people listened to literally almost 40 minutes of that episode, and I have no idea how you made it through it. I probably would have turned it off 10 minutes in with just me talking. So that's you don't give yourself enough credit. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'll tune in to hear you.
1: So That's encouraging. Uh, As always, this episode is powered by Blue Wire Pods. It's also powered by The Butcher's Pub with two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky, and then a third location coming April 15th to London, Kentucky. Today at The Pub is Taco Tuesday. Uh, The Butcher's Pub says a well-balanced diet is a taco in each hand, Derek, and you can get uh, barbecue pork and slaw, Cajun shrimp, fajita chicken, all kinds of different tacos, uh, $2 per taco all day long at all Butcher's Pub locations. You can visit the thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. Uh, but Derek, today is a mailbag episode. We wanted to kind of just make up for not getting, I guess, your thoughts on some topics on Friday. Some of the topics are the same. A lot has happened in the last few days, uh, mostly on the basketball front with recruiting and now the transfer portal going crazy i mean there's the names that are in the portal the the amount of players in the portal uh it's kind of taken over the collegiate game like outside the ncaa tournament the names and amount of names in the transfer portal is a story in itself
0: really is um travis branham tweeted out the number this morning for guys who have entered the portal and i want to pull that up because it is astounding how many guys have been in the portal so this is from four hours ago, so you can already add more names to this <laughs> since then. But he said the, tr- the transfer list now stands at 733 names entering the day. On the same day last year, there were 422 names. Incredible. So this thing's going to be damn near over 1,000 probably pretty soon. Uh, but, no, I, know, I think we got a few mailbag questions specifically asking about some of the guys maybe we would want to talk to. But you're right. Just in turn, we saw this too with college football. It really makes it feel like the season doesn't end in a way. With the portal, because everything stays in the news. I mean, Kentucky played in the bowl game um, against NC State on, I believe, January the third. Of course, we had basketball going on, but I guess a few weeks later in January, I think January fifteenth, uh, my mother's birthday actually, and also Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, January fifteenth, is whenever Wondell Robinson committed. So yeah. I mean, he had kind of that build up for about a week before he actually committed. So I mean, it's like the doesn't really stop until spring ball got here, uh, and now we're seeing this with college basketball. NCAA tournament's going on, yet, you know, if you're a Kentucky fan, maybe you're watching those games. Which, what you're really doing is following these NBA decisions and then transfer portal decisions, and there are guys going in there every day that uh, you would think Kentucky might at least reach out to, see how, see what kind of interest it would be, see what kind of fit it would be.
1: Yeah, and, you know, you and I were talking on here yesterday about being patient when it comes to the portal with names going into the portal and things and you're kind of seeing that kind of develop now. But let's go ahead and let's just get to the first question. I want to start with Sloan because he asked update on Keon's decision. If he leaves, are you all hearing anything on if it will be the draft or transfer? That's it's weird right now, right, with Keon? Because yeah. honestly we don't we don't even know. Like we're we're waiting on a decision, but was there Keon's one of those guys that, is there really a decision to make? You know what I mean? Like For well,
0: the NBA, yeah. Yeah, I don't think
1: it, so. it comes down to, you know, does he want to enter the portal or does he want to go to the NBA? I'm going to take NBA out, and I'm yeah, going to yeah. say it's, it's going to come down to either he stays at Kentucky or he enters the portal, and I don't know anything on that. Obviously, his dad came out uh, the day of the SEC, tur- SEC tournament loss and mentioned that, but it's one of those things that Derek and I keep talking about that you don't want to jump the gun and just assume someone's coming back, even just given the way that this thing is kind of changing day by day. With the names going in the portal, college basketball, just just changing. As, I mean, we've never seen anything like what we're about to see.
0: No, we haven't. And that's that's where I kind of got when we were talking about our discussion yesterday. I mean, at a certain point, I think I just sat there, maybe you did the same thing, and I'm just like, man, there just seems like there's way, way too many things that are still going to play out before we really have an idea on some of these – takes, I guess you could say, on what Cal is doing this offseason or how they will be next year. I think, Keon, I mean, how, how does, one, with these changes Cal has talked about on his last radio show, how does that change what the roster looks like next year? Because with the transfer portal and with the guys he carried as coming in, like, you know, it's a lot different than college football. I mean, you can pretty much change your whole identity in a year. Wouldn't you agree? In college basketball. You can. So, yeah. How how does Cal envision? I, I can't imagine there would be a scenario where like Keon would be pushed out just because. I mean, he's been here two years. He's a he's a steady player. I would say he's a good player. Um, he's he's not a great player yet. Maybe he could be one day. Um, but a lot of these guys they reached out to in the portal have been guards, and it's just kind of making me wonder if maybe he will take that approach next year, go back to a three guard lineup because there was a time where. You know they've already got a lot of big signed and guys coming in next year, so I thought maybe Keon would be a three next year if he came back. But maybe that wouldn't have to be the case. But I don't know. I mean, the fact that there were transfer rumors that came out on him almost immediately after the season ended, you know, those are by some guys who seem to be pretty plugged in who, who reported that. So we'll see. Um, I'm with you though. I don't think he's going the pro route. I think he'll for sure be playing college basketball next year. It just depends on on where it will be. And as of now, I mean, he's not said he's leaving Kentucky. So as of now, I'm kind of putting him on the roster for next year.
1: That's my thought process until we know something uh, for sure, whatever's going to go on there. I mean, obviously you, you can never assume anything, but at the same time, we don't really have anything yet. Uh, Still obviously waiting on decision from Davion Mintz. I mean, there's decisions there, you know, that Davion has to make a decision. I mean, Keon could literally just say nothing and be on next year's roster. I mean, that's the that's kind of the thing it is. But uh, next question comes from Trey. What do you hope Cal is learning from this tournament, assuming he is watching it because we all know how many things Cal doesn't see? Who asked that? Trey. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that made me laugh. Yeah, he doesn't see uh... – what he doesn't want to see, I guess. But uh, I don't know. Sean, I guess you just got to say the offensive efficiency, right, of these teams. Th- I think Cal's always going to have good defensive teams. That's what he's built his whole career no. on. Maybe – you think he's maybe seeing, though, that, hey, getting getting these six, seven athletes who can't really score, maybe that's not the best way to build my team anymore.
1: No. And we have another question, too, that was actually asking. It says, what is modern basketball? I know it involves more three-point attempts with a faster tempo, but what is beyond that?
0: That's your question, Coach.
1: Well, modern basketball is is this, and I've, I've seen a lot of discussion. Somebody tweeted it talking about uh, the Princeton offense version that Loyola just absolutely carved up Illinois with. I mean, Princeton offense is not modern basketball. Princeton offense has been around for years. But the one key thing in that tweet, was they play through a skilled big man. That's modern basketball. Modern basketball isn't what Kentucky does, and you put three forwards on the floor who can't shoot outside of 10 feet consistently. Modern basketball is spacing. It's five outs. It's it's oh, it's learning how to play in situations. It's taking advantage of things. It's taking quick threes, just getting shots up, no turnovers. It's it's You want that, playing fast. Alabama does it the best right now. I mean, you watch Alabama in the collegiate game and what they're doing. You saw them hit, I think, 16 threes last night. But it's not just the three-point line. It's at the rim. It's no 15-foot jumpers. You would you would rather take a wide-open three than step in and take a 14-, 15-foot jump shot. Uh, but the reason Loyola's game worked, Derek, is because the skill set. It's the shooters that they had. It's the the point forward there that they could play through the big man. Everything went through the big. And that's what I was going back to – In 2011, you can go back and watch tape. A lot of stuff went through Josh Harrelson having the ball in his hands at the top of the key in an empty situations on the wings uh, because he was skilled enough to do that. You follow it the next year, Anthony Davis done a lot of that same stuff. Kentucky now, you see a lot of big men, whoever it is, they're parked on the block and you don't get a lot of action. But it also shows, though, because Kentucky runs a ton of floppy action when it comes to ISO stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a big thing next year will be, and maybe this won't ever change with Cal, but cutting out some of those long twos, things like that, uh, that will be a smart thing. I believe if they construct their roster a certain way, which given some of the names they've reached out to um, in the portal, plus potential names who could go into the portal, they would seem to be taking steps to
1: to change that.
0: Uh, I don't think there's going to be a Bag question on this, but while we're just on the topic but- of –
1: well, go ahead. Well, the only thing I was going to add about modern basketball, I didn't know if you were moving on from that or not. But modern basketball, Derek, is it's not as much about teaching sets as it is about teaching how to play. It's yeah, about yeah. teaching how to play the game. It's you don't come down and really call a set. You don't waste a clock running. You know, setting up a set. You learn how to play. I come back to the thing that I try to do in coaching, and I, I do it at a, I know, a middle school level but the thing is i always say to myself is don't teach them plays teach them how to play and then you're not having to pull the ball back out if something's not going right and set something up you learn how to flow through situations you can everybody now has just about has to beat somebody off the bounce to play this game especially at the nba you either got to be able to hit the 3 or beat somebody off the bounce if you you're not going to you don't see guys you're not going to see guys make it in the league in my opinion that can't do anything offensively like those guys just aren't going to get there anymore
0: well, it's, yeah, it's kind of what I was gonna bring up is, and you can stop me if I, I seriously doubt where I'm on a bad question on this though. One thing, and, and perhaps I've just not paid enough attention in this tournament, uh, but I, let's go back to a guy like Khalil Whitney, for example. He's someone I'm gonna use. Is there still a spot for a guy like that in in basketball at the highest levels? Uh, just a super, super raw offensive game. And, I mean, in his case, I don't remember him doing much on defense either. But I'm just talking mainly, like, how many of those guys do you even need on a roster?
1: I, I wouldn't take them if I was a coach building. And it, I can give you an NBA comparison. Uh, I was a huge fan of the Oklahoma City Thunder when Kevin Durant was there in his early years. Russell Westbrook, James Harden's still there. They had Tabo Cephalosha. I don't know if you remember him or not. And Cephalosia's game was known as a lockdown defender. But at some point, Cephalosia had to be able to hit what? The
0: three.
1: The three. And I just don't – if you can't do that, and if you can't be a weapon offensively, you're pretty much playing without five guys when you get to that end of the floor. You're just a dead spot. You can't have dead spots on the floor in this day and age in basketball.
0: That's something I was thinking about, and they don't have a – I don't think Bryce Hopkins is that kind of guy. I think he's. I mean, if you read his scouting reports, he's kind of he's a potential three-level scorer. Um, he's not just known as a lockdown guy. I think he has a very good offensive game. So there's not anyone like that in this class. Um, but yeah, that's just what I was thinking about. I mean, we'd move on to the next question. Though. I well, was you, and... you
1: can't hide kids. Is yeah. the thing uh, you don't you don't hide kids in 2021 offensively. I mean, you don't take pressure off the defense by having someone on the floor who literally can't shoot, or can't dribble, or can't do something. Uh, that's like and Gabriel. What was the one thing at Kentucky that he just could not do? You're like, remember how bad his ball handling was when he would try to, to put. Yeah, on the you court?
0: don't want that kid putting it on the deck. Yeah. No, and
1: if but he became a what in his sophomore year? He was able to hit the open shot, and now yeah. look where he's at right now. He's in the NBA. That that's the thing. Like if if he hadn't added that. There's no pro team looks at Wendy and Gabriel in any form and says that's a, that's a guy that we want in our organization in any <laughs> level. Uh, I've always thought that the European game was ahead offensively when it comes to efficiency and read and react type of principles when it comes to playing offense. I mean, the read and react offense to me is one of the best things that you can teach, especially at the level I coach. And it starts there where you teach kids how to play in situations. And in my tweet the other day about Loyola, was all about they understood how to play in situations. They understood stood how to play if it was a hard hedge. They understood how to play if it was a switch. Uh, there was one play where it was a beautiful, where the guy lift on the opposite side, they rotated it and went straight into a post-up because they got the switch they wanted. It's just having an IQ that you can still run those types of offenses that aren't modern, but you have to have modern skill set type players to really make it effective and put pressure on teams. There's no more post up on the block and just bully ball you to death anymore. Maybe in situations, but not as much as Kentucky would post in transition. (laughs) Instead of pulling a three in transition, they would post in transition. And that night they played Alabama at Rupp Arena was one of the most eye-opening things to me. when You looked at the shot chart and you looked at how that game was played, what Kentucky tried to do what Alabama did to them, and that Kentucky had been successful doing what they were doing, it still wouldn't have been enough to beat Alabama that night because Alabama was hitting threes when Kentucky was getting twos. It wouldn't have mattered if Kentucky had executed the game plan offensively. It came down to that uh, aspect. I think next year I'll be
0: looking for, like, a happy medium. I don't expect Cal to go all out. You're shooting, you know, 35 threes a game. But it can't be – you can't have nights where you're hitting one or two threes like we saw this year. That's just – that's, that's just embarrassing, honestly, this day and age. <laughs> to, to recruit, the, to have the, the talent pool Kentucky gets to choose from and to somehow build a roster that had nights. Nice. Get
1: ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix Live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
0: Didn't they have a game this year they didn't even make it three?
1: Richmond. They shot 0-10. There you go. And they only shot 10. That
0: can't happen. It can't. It's awful. It can't
1: because then it just becomes a a pack it in type thing. And then the other thing Kentucky had, they didn't have anybody get to the rack. And it's just, it's a recipe for disaster.
0: We got to move on from this year.
1: Yeah. Well, we are. We're officially moving on. (laughs) We have two questions that I know of that involve CJ Frederick. So let's go ahead and get to that. And I know you and I off air have had a ton of conversations about CJ Frederick. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything Uh, So Tyler asked, would C.J. Frederick be a fit at Kentucky? And then Allen follows it with uh, Matt Jones' tweet last night where he said, I think there's a very good chance that U.K. will end up with a transfer whose season ended today. And Allen says, if you were guessing who this is a reference to, would you guess C.J. Frederick or McKinley Wright, the Colorado point guard? Frederick is the big thing, and you and I have talked a lot about Frederick. We don't really see where – I guess it kind of fits with what maybe it looks like next year or really what his impact would be. But if it's beyond one year, we really see it.
0: Yeah, uh, and I don't have any reason to think it was McKinley right? but I will say he's an excellent point guard. And um, I know he's a senior. If he were to choose to go somewhere else, then, yes, I think Kentucky would definitely reach out to him. But like you said, I I, I seriously doubt that's who Matt was referencing to. The Frederick rumors have been out there on the message boards on Twitter for weeks, I guess, and it's worth noting he is not in the portal. But what's I'm sure the conclusion is, hey, he's from the Northern Kentucky area. I believe he went to high school in Covington, Kentucky. He is a kind of guy who you would not want to be. I would say a main addition this yeah. off season. Like he, you wouldn't want him to be the only movie make if you're trying to uh, build this roster next year. But I can see why he would be appealing. And if he chooses to, – like, to me, Sean, he's a role player. He's he's not yes. going to be a starter for you. But what what does he do very well? Shoots a three at a great clip. I believe in the regular season he was near 50% from three. And he didn't take a ton. I want to say he shot 78 threes. I don't have the numbers pulled up, but I've, I've looked at these numbers earlier. But the big thing, too, is he just doesn't make many mistakes on offense. Well, uh Two turn. I think he had 51 assists and nine turnovers yep. following the Big Ten tournament. I think he only turned it over twice in all the Big Ten play. And this is a kid who started at Iowa, so I mean he was playing plenty. I think he was fourth on the team in minutes. Um, but he to me, if you if you can get him, and he's the kind of guy you can bring off the bench.
1: Yeah, if he's a starter, uh, I'd be concerned.
0: Yeah, but I mean, if you if you can use him to add depth, and then you know he's not going go to go. The- it's very very unlikely he will go to the NBA after a year. So. The thing I was talking about yesterday, like kind of using the portal as like the old school JUCO type deal, well I think I think it makes a lot of sense. So we well, want to add him if if that's what ends up happening.
1: And I, I don't I don't want to sound like I'm picking on him every time that I mention it, but if you ask me right now, do I take C J Frederick or do I take Devin Askew on next year's team? I take C J Frederick. One yeah, because Ritter he shoots do more for you. he shoots the ball better. He doesn't turn it over. And if it's in a role off the bench, I like it. If it's in a starting role, I don't like where Kentucky's moving next year.
0: And I don't think it will be. And, again, like we said, let's, let's say that one more time. Like He's not in the portal yet. I would say, given the rumors, if you look up tomorrow or whatever and he's in the portal, then you'd probably figure all Matt was talking about. But uh, I'll add this comment, too. <laughs> I'm not seeing many. I don't think it's official that UK has reached out to Marcus Carr, though. It would stun me if they haven't. But doesn't it seem like UK, at least with the rumors we've heard, and then with Powell and, and Kellen Grady, these these are not point guards, right? So no. when we talk about you know the need for next year being a point guard, does not there's not so many, very much movement on that front. Whereas it seems like all those guys we mentioned up to this point are guys who can shoot the ball.
1: Which is think, good. Yeah. That's
0: what you would need for next year. So, what do you what do you make of that? You just think the market's not quite there yet? You think there'll be more guys that go in, or do you do you read into something about the guys that Cal may think that thinks that he already has, like potentially having Mintz come back or a guy like Kickman coming in, or you know, even a guy like Askew? I mean, I don't I don't think anyone thinks he'll be the point guard next year, but depth wise, do you think he may already have the numbers there?
1: If they don't take a point guard. In a transfer portal, it tells me that Nolan Hickman's really good, but yeah. it can't. It here's the deal, right? You can't miss on it again. You can't yeah, miss. I, would, I would be
0: nervous to go in with with that as the.
1: Well, they were nervous yeah. last year to go into it with with Ask You, and we saw why. Like they were <laughs> they were nervous, like in June and stuff, or before going into or well, going into that spring, they were nervous about it. That's why they went and got Mints. Um, so maybe it does tell you that Mintz maybe has already made a decision, and they feel good at possibly going to that and then riding out with Mintz, Askew, and Hickman, and then now it just becomes – because the other thing outside of point guard play that we talked about was what? Wing score. And Mm -hmm. that kind of leads into our next question here. Uh, Comes from Ryan. Any word on the small forward position, news on Kessler, Powell, Carr, Mintz, another guard, or any combination of those? And then he says, does Kentucky get involved with Kellen Grady? which Kellen Grady is the transfer from Davidson, that his, his entire career he has been known for one thing, and it is absolutely filling up the basket with points. I mean, we're talking numbers here, Derek, across his career at Davidson for four years. Let me see if I can pull them up here. Averaged uh, 18 as a freshman, 17.3 as a sophomore, 17.2 as a junior, and 17.1 as a senior. So you, you don't find that every single day. That's, that's, that's pretty yeah. consistent
0: mr consistent yeah I do think they'll definitely get involved with Grady and uh there was a lot to that question so I didn't I didn't hear everything else or about to go back so and repeat that it was
1: asking about. uh if there's any new any word on the small forward position when it comes to that three and i, I here's here's what I, I'm gonna make a prediction and if I'm wrong then I might call and talk to Cal myself because he's gonna really make me look like a fool here because I can't believe I'm going about I'm about to say this I think we are going to officially be done with the whole big three that can't shoot the ball. I'm talking Keon Brooks, Jacob Toppin playing the three. I'm making a prediction. It's dead. You won't see it. it it's to gonna be big. it's gonna be Dante Allen or it's gonna be a kid the quality of Kellen Grady at six five that can play that can shoot the ball and do things like that. If that is a move that John Calipari if that is the only move that Calipari makes and changes and I'm not talking sticking a point guard there like you did the year with Brisco- Briscoe and Ulysses and Murray. I'm talking a true three that can sh- shoot the basketball and score from the perimeter. If that is the one change he makes Derek, he is, he's, to me, he's hes done something that moves him forward.
0: I agree with that. And that's what I would say to you. If, if there is going to be a, you know, I, I think you're going to see more three guard lineups next year, but if Keon's back, perhaps he's, the three or the four, I mean, it's really hard to say right now, honestly. It really is. Like, I think you'd want to get to a point where if you needed Toppin to play the three in a pinch, he could do it for you. But I, I think he probably needs to be in the post, don't you? I just think it's a backup four is where I kind of see him. I mean, maybe yeah. in certain lineups you would want him at the three, but for the most part I think he he's – it's not really going to be a strong suit, I don't think, because that- playing out on the wing.
1: At one point in basketball, it became the four-man became what? It used to be a power forward. It used to be your bruising guy that you could post up. And then it became a, a guy that could face the basket and play. A Terrence Jones top four. A Julius Randle top four. And now even those guys are more like you want guys who can shoot the three. And look at Julius Randle's numbers this year in the NBA. I know I hate to get off topic, but have you seen how many threes he's hit this year? Compared to what he was going into the year?
0: No, I I know he's putting up great points per game numbers, but I've not seen the shooting I saw
1: something today I want to think. I'm trying to think what his career numbers were, but it was almost doubled, I think, this season compared to what it was. Uh, I'll see if I can find it before we wrap up the episode today. Uh, I don't know why I want to think he's hit over 73s this year. Am I wrong on that? Does that sound right?
0: i got the old Google machine right here. We'll pull it up.
1: Because that is the type of change that I'm talking about. Like when it comes to a four, and that's where Keon fits the game more as as a four. eh? I don't think he fits it Mm -hmm. as a three. Uh, I'm pulling it up here to see. So for his career going into this season, it doesn't tell me the total number of makes. He made
0: 82 threes this year already, and his previous career high was 67.
1: Okay. That's it then. So you're you're seeing even his game evolve. Did you ever at Kentucky think that he would be a consistent guy that can knock down threes? Did you ever see that? It was bully yeah. ball with him, right?
0: Yeah, it was definitely bully ball. I mean, he was
1: catch the ball
0: on the you know on the pole or the uh, the elbow and put it on the deck and get to the rim, and it was very hard for, for teams to stop him. Um, but even you think about, I'm looking at his early numbers in the NBA. As obviously he got hurt his rookie year. But his first three seasons, first three full years, he never attempted more than sixty-three threes, and then that number went way up when he got to New Orleans, one ninety-five and nineteen. He took the two thirty-one last year, and he's already at one ninety-eight through forty-three games this year. So obviously, he's ended up shooting way more. But man, he's shooting forty-one percent from out there, yeah. <laughs> which is
1: it's, wow. I mean, yeah, that, that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Like, that's where I'm coming from when we're talking about the way basketball has changed. It's it's more to me, sure, it's it's more five out than it ever was, but it also it, it relies on skill set and the skill set has changed for positions. Like you the four has changed significantly in the game of basketball in the in my lifetime. I mean it you're talking Kentucky to me and what they did with Carl Anthony Towns and Willie Colleystown. obviously it worked thirty eight times that year. But playing those two bigs together, you don't see that anymore. Like you don't see anything like that. Uh, Trey Lyles being the three man, you don't see anything like that. You no, know? that that was a face up four man.
0: And it was Poitras before that. Before yeah, Denver, playing the three. So,
1: so. that th- that's the thing. Like outside of a few times, I've never been a fan of what Kentucky has done at the three over the years. You you mentioned Poitras, obviously that was one. Uh, they used Trey Lyles at the three. Uh, we all know. What they've done in recent years too, but the years like like last year, I was a big fan of how they done things. When he talked about Emmanuel quickly, Maxie Hagens, or you go back to 2011 and we're talking about Darius Miller, DeAndre Liggins, uh, Knight and, and Lamb, uh, James Young. Even the year when they had the Harrison twins and Young, I, I liked what they did that season. I, I just think you need you need a capable shooter, and you just don't need a dead spot at those spots. Like you just can't force just to get minutes or to put people on the floor. I just think it's a really bad idea.
0: Yeah, I agree. And that's a good point about last year. I mean, you had Haggins who wasn't really much of a shooter at all, but he could at least penetrate. And you had Maxi, who, which I guess Maxi's numbers turned out to not be all that great, did they?
1: But they didn't
0: Is a guy who, who, you could shoot it a little bit, but of course, quickly, I mean, really carried that team from deep. And then he also had a, a big off the bench though. And Sestina who could shoot the ball pretty well. Um, And they definitely had more options last year uh, than what they had this, this previous season. But I'm with you. I mean, a lineup again, Briscoe and we talked about it yesterday, but like even Fox wasn't a great shooter, but he had one strength or, I mean, he had more than one strength, but certainly his, his speed really helped him in transition and even helped him in the half court. I mean, he could just get by his man. If you're guarding that guy one-on-one, he was more often than not probably going to get by his man neither score or create something for somebody else. Um, And that team, when you had a guy like Willis in the four, uh, Gabriel, who I think his numbers went way up his sophomore year, but a guy who could shoot it a little bit. I mean, that team basically had one big, one true big who played a lot of minutes, and that was Bam. You had Humphreys off the bench a little bit in that role, but he didn't, you know, play a ton. I'm not saying every roster has to look that way, um, but that's just unbelievable when we think back how limited this team was shooting the ball. It's just that can't happen anymore. And I think Cal knows that, and uh, he'll do his best to get it corrected, and it should be easier now with the portal to to have somebody every single year. That's maybe where Frederick comes into play. Yeah. You could add a guy like that pretty much every offseason probably, and that will help you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We had another mailbag question that was kind of along these lines. comes from Justin. I don't want to miss that. Will Calipari really have a team with Justin Powell, C.J. Frederick, Mintz, and Allen on the same roster? It would be the most unique Cal roster in his 12 years at UK. Uh, Not sure if it'll be that exact combination uh, or anything similar, but even if it's just the pieces that we've talked about today, Derek, like regardless of what the pieces are, if it's the people that we think that they're going to be in on and pursuing, it is going to kind of be unique compared to what they've typically done.
0: Yeah, I've got to say they're going to get a few of those guys. Um, I don't don't know if they'll get them all. I mean, at a certain point, like, I don't know. I don't even really like speculating on this because.
1: Until people are officially in the portal and things, it's hard. Well,
0: that too, but then just the sheer numbers. Like, how many guards was that that was just mentioned? Three?
1: <laughs> that was four there, not even counting yep. Hickman and Askew.
0: And possibly man, Like, There's not going to be seven guards like that. Uh, Or is that including Allen too? Sorry.
1: Yeah, that was including Allen. Okay. I think so Mintz was in there too. So it would um, be, we didn't have anything with Grady and then we didn't have anything with uh, obviously Askew and Hickman aren't included either.
0: It's just, it's really hard to say at this point, I think, who it's going to be just because there's so many scenarios. There's so many bodies to sort out. I mean, I think Cal's probably in a phase, though, where he wants to try to acquire the best talent. And again, like I was saying, I mean, who's to say, you know, quite a few teams just got knocked out of the tournament these past two days. You know, so the field's down to 16. So, I mean, the majority of guys, a lot of them will probably go into the portal this week if they're going to leave. So, I mean, maybe I would guess that these coaches or whoever have a pretty good idea of the guys who are going to go in. I mean, everybody talks. So, I don't think there's ever anyone who just pops up in the portal that, it's completely out of left field. But I don't know. Maybe there's more guys they're waiting on. It's, it's really hard to say. Um, but I do think, out of those guys mentioned, like the skill set of shooting, I, I fully believe they will add two to three guys very capable of knocking down outside shots.
1: Yeah. Uh, I fully believe so as well. And we're going to end the mailbag with a question from Shane. So Shane's the guy that, continues to throw us these really fun questions. He says, what is your favorite game where one player simply took over? He says, Jody Meeks versus UT cannot be chosen, obviously, Derek. Uh, Tyler Hero versus Arkansas and Rupp to complete the 15-point second-half deficit garnished off with I'm a bucket while sinking game-icing free throws. In 36 minutes, he had 29 points, 9 of 10 field goals, 5 of six threes, 6 of 6 free throws, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. So I'm assuming that one is his. Uh, what would be yours, Derek?
0: The one that came to mind is a game I actually didn't even watch live because I was on a little college senior cruise trip my senior year with some friends. So I didn't see Malik Monk score 47 against North Carolina. While that would be an obvious one, I I can't really choose it because I didn't watch it live. Uh, Single game player taking over. I'll probably, like a lot of questions Shane asks, I'll probably just end up naming a few instead of one that really stands out. Um, Kevin Knox was great in that West Virginia comeback. One of the largest comebacks of the Cal era on the road for sure uh, was a great game for him. Um, who are some other guys who took over? Maryland's done all shot blocking performance at Old Miss. That game, and that's a really good one. Defensively, I mean, that's like you don't you don't ever really see stuff like that. And the no. dude had four fouls for a lot of that. Uh, so defensive, just dominant performance. That is up there um how about just for a stretch john wall early against north carolina uh i don't remember what he ended up with the whole game but he had the fast break he had the dunk then he had that crazy reverse layup had some end ones i mean he he had a stretch right there where it was just and the team did as well it was really great i watched some of those games over christmas uh, when i was home for christmas earlier this year or well obviously last year 2020 um any of those, Sean? I mean, is there any others I'm I'm leaving out? I'm, as as Jamal Murray probably had some good games in there that I'm not
1: He did. About, he know. did. Uh, I'm going to go way back, though. And it's not like a crazy scoring performance or anything like that. And it was one of those things where you had to kind of be watching the game to see it all happening with the, the way it was playing out. I'm going to go Wayne Turner, 1998, NCAA regional final versus Duke, the game where they came back from 17 down. Uh, Turner only f- he finished with 16 points and eight assists, but midway through that second half, when that run started, I just remember him kind of being the guy that ignited it. And then they ended that. The crazy thing about that game too, Derek, and I thought this would be a cool thing. Obviously, you you didn't watch like that year as a fan or anything, but you've watched some of those games. Is just kind of going back and talking about some of the great. Sport like Kentucky games, like on certain dates. I thought it'd be cool to kind of reference those. Uh, That one, I think, was the anniversary was this past weekend. But I just remember that game. Wayne absolutely destroyed Wojowski in the in the second half. Like, just literally, there was a play where he got an and one there that kind of really set the tone. And then the thing that got Kentucky back in that game. I don't know how much you've paid attention to that game, but. They got like three points, literally so many possessions in a row, whether it be a three pointer or an and one or something like that, that they got back in that game from seventeen down within like four or five possessions it was It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. They almost had to play perfect to come back, and they did
0: I'm not as old as you, so i don't I have watched um there's a YouTube video of that game, but I think it starts like the last. Uh, maybe four minutes or so, or you can, I mean, you can watch the full game too. I mean, on YouTube, they've got pretty much everything. Um, I couldn't even think of, I was trying to remember when I was a kid, any, like, I I don't remember the Prince five, three scenario. I don't remember watching that live. It was incredible too. Uh, I'm sure that was one. I mean, I've heard from people who were at Rupp that day who said that was as loud as it's ever been (laughs) in Rupp Arena, which I believe, I mean, that's exciting to see a guy start a game that way. Um, yeah, those ones I said are the ones that popped up in my head. Yeah. That was a sat here and thought.
1: There, there's so many. I mean, you could go um, just guys just absolutely being on a heater. I mean, Cameron Mills had a huge game against Florida uh, in the late 90s, too, where he ended up having 30-some points, and it was pretty much off the three-point line. Uh, I remember Keldon Johnson a couple of years ago against Tennessee going off and hitting like four yep. threes in a row, it seemed like.
0: Jay had a good game that game.
1: Yeah, like just a lot. There's been a lot of performances uh, that really stand out. Shea Alexander, I thought against Buffalo, was one that stands out to me too, where he kind of just took over and everything there. But I I like the Kevin Knox one that you went with. That would be mine too if I didn't uh, go with what Turner did. And, And Turner's was more just the way that he set the tone. In that run. And uh, if you go back and watch that game, just a lot of things with defensive effort, you know, breaking people down off the dribble. Uh, just wow. Like, I just, so many, so many great performances over the years. But that, that's a really good question, Shane. Thanks for submitting that one to the mailbag. Eric, I don't think we have anything else to kind of get to today. Um,
0: there was just, uh, we mentioned it. It's just, more so SEC news, probably more than anything, but Tennessee assistant Ron English
1: is – or was that his name? Kim English, right? Is Is it it Kim? English a football coach? (laughs) It it is
0: Kim. You're right, it is Kim, but I've got to look that up now because I'm pretty sure there is. Yes, Ron English is a – well, it looks like he's an American artist, and there's also a football coach (laughs) named Ron English. But, yes, Kim English, who uh, is just 32 years old, got his first head coaching job at Georgia Mason. He was with Rick Barnes at Tennessee – and big loss for them. It is a big loss for them. He was very key, some of these recruitments. Um, and it's worth all of scanned the Tennessee, uh, our Tennessee 24-7 message board. And, of course, Jay Lucas, first-year Kentucky assistant, was was thrown on there by actually their basketball rider as someone. He wasn't saying it was going to happen or anything like that. Just, you know, when a job comes open, you think about connections. I don't see that happening just because I still think Kentucky assistant under John Calipari is a better job than – Tennessee assistant under Rick Barnes, but Sean, do you think that is something that at least uh, that Jay would entertain if if it were to? I mean, it's his old coach, someone who, who he said he talked to whenever it came down to taking the UK jobs. It was clearly someone he saw as a relationship with.
1: I think it's an interesting note for sure. I think it's something yeah. to at least look at when you texted me that this morning. Um, I could see it if depending on to what happens with UK staff, if Jay feels like there's a more prominent role. Or something, but I mean clearly, you know Cal is going to want to hold on to Jay as long as possible mm-hmm. and keep him there. And maybe Jay made the move to Kentucky. I mean that's the thing, right? You he left Texas where he played to come to UK, so there was some type of you know of appeal at being at UK that that I think would have a strong chance of him of keeping him in Lexington. But yeah, playing having the you know option to coach with your your former coach and things. Obviously that if if Rick wants it, I mean that. It's definitely pretty interesting,
0: <laughs> for sure. But, yeah. And again, I don't think and, that will happen, but it's probably worth just keeping your. eye. I mean, just it's not school. crazy,
1: you know. The thing, yeah. like that's that's it, and probably would be something that would happen pretty quickly, right?
0: I've got think Jay came here because he thought one, he would learn under a Hall of Fame coach, but two, probably accelerate his path to being a head coach one day. Yeah, and I don't know that leaving helps. That goal. I just don't Well, I mean, But, you know, think about it this way. Rob Lanier just got a head coaching job, I think, two years ago. He's on, which He he is a much older guy. He had been a head coach before but had been under Barnes for a long time after getting fired from Siena. But he got another chance after Tennessee had some success, and then you get Kim English going. I mean, that's two guys who have gotten head coaching jobs in recent years off yeah. that staff. So we'll see. Again, I don't think that will happen, but it's just something that caught my eye this morning. I thought, well, you know, I mean – you might I, – I think it will be reasonable to think maybe something will be out there uh, linking those two together, which is why I mentioned it today.
1: Yep, I agree uh, 100% with everything. I think it is interesting, something to follow just with the connections, and there's going to be a lot to follow in the coming days um, with the NCAA transfer portal. There, Derek, there's going to be names going to the portal tomorrow. There's going to be names going to the portal on Thursday. Uh, this isn't going to stop. You still have teams playing right now in the NCAA tournament and other postseason stuff. You know there's going to be guys from those teams that probably decide to pursue other options as well. So this train is certainly not slowing down anytime soon. It is not uh, by any means. No, it's, it's only probably going be to be out. out
0: today. We're recording this. It's almost 2 p.m. Eastern. I would guess there will be more interesting things come out today.
1: Yeah, yeah. Who knows? You might end up having another episode of Kentucky Daily if it gets too wild. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, you can obviously interact with the show by emailing us, KentuckyDaily at gmail.com. If you have any uh, suggestions, questions, or just want to reach out to us, uh, even for advertising, anything like that, you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. You can uh, email me, GoBigBlueCountry at gmail.com, or I check the Kentucky Daily email as well. Uh, you can follow Derek at Derek S. Terry on Twitter. But this has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history